everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interest in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, welcome to a special episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, I'm Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger, also on Facebook slash HawkBlogger. Uh, and you can find this podcast all over the place. We'll, we'll share all those in a second. If you haven't already, now is the perfect time to subscribe um, to the podcast on YouTube. Just click subscribe real quick. You'll get notified whenever we go live with new shows or anything else that comes on. Um, subscribe on your favorite podcasting uh, app. iTunes um, is a good place. Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. But before we get into the news of the day, let me welcome in uh, our softball uh, champion. Uh, how, how did the, the game go today uh, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter? Jeff, how'd it go? It was good, man. It was our first game of the year. It was. Uh... A little cold in Toronto tonight, so I'm surprised we were able to play. But you know, we got a big win. I hit a triple, which for my speed is very, very rare. It's like George Fan catching a pass. Wow. So Impressive. that was fun. That was fun. But I was coming out of the game, and I saw your like text to us, and I didn't even know the news of the day. I didn't even see it. And I flipped on my Twitter, and then, bam, now we got a show. Now we have a big show to talk about. We do. <laughs> We do. Well, why, why don't you uh, take the honor, uh, do the honors, and share uh, the news of the night? So there was a um, – we've been talking about this for quite a while. Funny enough, when Brian first brought up in our group thread months ago, he mentioned Frank Clark. He said, "What? which of these scenarios would you want? Would you want Frank Clark signed for what we thought would be like $15 million a year? Or an extra draft pick that we thought would be high. We thought like a late first and Ziggy Ansa. And I remember like Nathan was fighting it. Evan was fighting it. It just didn't seem like a realistic scenario in any way. And as I just tweeted out, as the trade has come along, now the Seahawks, a Schefter, when Schefter reports on you know it's real, have agreed to a one-year deal with Ziggy Ansa. That just adds a whole new element to their roster. It adds a whole new element to the Frank Clark trade. There's so many layers of this now, and there's still room for them to do more. So we don't. I don't know if we know the terms of the deal yet. Probably a little early for that. But when things came out earlier, it seemed a little shady. But the Seahawks have now added a big time defensive end. Makes the it completely changes their whole roster. It does. It does. It does. Uh, 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 
Big, big news. I mean, I think we were kind of expecting this a little bit, um, you know, to be honest, I think, uh, look, there were, there were rumors uh, and, and twists and turns. I, I fully expected the Seahawks to announce this at like, well, first of all, I thought they were going to announce it at 101 yesterday Pacific oh. time. And then we found out that reporters couldn't even get that right. So it was, uh, it was 9 p.m. last night. I was sitting there on my Twitter feed just refreshing <laughs> for like hours, man. I was like, <laughs> The news is going to break. Like they, they, they've been working on this. They, they were so confident in how Pete and John were talking about this. I just expected it to be a right away thing and nothing. And then I was like, sure that when I woke up in the morning, there would be news breaking. I was like, ah, the reporters probably don't take this that seriously. It's third wave free agency. And there was nothing. There was like the Atlanta Falcons hired a new team doctor. And I was like, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. What's going on? Um, and so it went on and on. Then we finally got a report midway through the day, I think from uh, Ian Rappaport, who said that the Seahawks were considered the favorite to land Ziggy Ansah. And no more than maybe an hour or two after that, you had the Buffalo Bills GM <laughs> on the radio saying, that's garbage. It's coming from a bad source. And we believe that that's not true. And I literally had just finished tweeting about that and um, how just awful, awful it would have been if the Seahawks, with their cap space, their need, their stadium, um, you know, their defense, their team, and their location were to lose Ziggy Ansah to pretty much anywhere else let alone Buffalo. I mean, my God, Jeff, what would your reaction been if they had lost Ansa to Buffalo? Just devastating. The, but they didn't address the edge position in the draft. They barely did in undrafted free agency. To lose that number one target with, what you just said, with the cap room, a chance to make it big in free agency next year. No one offered nearly an opportunity like Seattle. And like he could probably talk to Cliff Averill, who went from Detroit to Seattle. And saw his career completely blow up. And like Cliff Averill was just the guy in Detroit. He became like he's a Seahawks franchise guy now. They have him announcing picks of the draft. This is a place where Anta could completely rejuvenate his career. If you lost him to like a middling team to be just like a rotation defensive end, that would be devastating. No, there's no doubt about it. It would hurt make the Frank Clark trade hurt a little more. And the fact that they didn't get that defensive end they probably wanted in the draft hurt a little more. And this this just completely re- just boost the team on a number of levels. Yeah, I mean, the only way that, the only way that I would have seen um, the Seahawks losing Ansa to a place like Buffalo would be if he just didn't want to be on the West Coast for some reason and he wanted to be in the yeah. Northeast. And, uh, you know, that's the only thing I could have, uh, you know, that, that does happen. He, but he visited here, right? He did. I mean, and talk about, I mean, a week to visit. It has been gorgeous out here, like 70s, 80s. It, it is – Seattle showed off this week. So um, any free agents should be uh, should be well appointed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, let, let, let's break it down a little bit in terms of, of who Ziggy Ansah is, what we believe he means to, to the Seahawks. Um, and let's talk a little bit about, you know, the upside and the potential downside. Let's talk about best case scenario and worst case scenario. So starting off, I mean, I think that 
um, I think it's worth calling out that Ziggy Ansah was the top rated um, from a pass rush productivity perspective, edge rusher, 4-3 edge rusher in the NFL last season, according to Pro Football Focus. So he only played seven games. Um, he's got a shoulder injury and can talk about that a little bit. But um, look, if, if you go through for the 2018 season and you look at um, uh, pass rush productivity for edge rushers, uh, Ezekiel Ansah is on top. He is uh, as 11.9 for his pass rush productivity, uh, you know, and that's higher than Khalil Mack. You know, Khalil Mack was 9.2. I mean, just to give you an idea, the the difference and 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 he he had um, 101 pass rushes. So if you, it's not a ton, but if you limit it to just people that had over 100 snaps, um then uh let me do that really quickly then it really what you get is um ezekiel ansa jerry hughes is number two cameron wake is number three um uchenna nuoso for the chargers is number four and then khalil mack and joey bosa are tied for fifth mm-hmm. so that's very i mean that's that that is you, you don't get much better than that yeah. So uh, I'm curious, what has been your observation of Ansa as a player over the years? So when we were like early in the year, when it seemed like the Seahawks were kind of fading a little bit before they got hot, people like me and Evan and a lot of people were kind of scouring the free agent market. Ansa was a guy that most people considered at that point before he injured his shoulder. It's probably in the same level as the Frank Clark, Demarcus Lawrence. He was graded as that kind of player. He's a double-digit sack guy. He's been an ascending player who's just – the only thing that's really been slowing him down is injuries. He's had a couple injury-laden seasons. He had a high ankle sprain, I think, in 2016 where he had, like, two sacks. But when he's healthy and he's productive, he's a double-digit sack guy. And you saw what Frank Larkin do in this defense last year where he really ascended into that double-digit sack player. Ansa's not as good as a run player as Clark. He's more of a pass rusher, pure pass rusher, really athletic player. He was very raw coming into the league, and Jim Schwartz did a lot of work with him in Detroit. Um, they've really developed him, and he's – I remember there was a playoff game in Seattle where there was a pretty bad Lions team, and but Ansa like, was like into the backfield almost every play. He's a dominant kind of player. He, he, he can have a game like Frank Clark had against Oakland. He's that kind of pass rusher when he's healthy, but again – there's a reason he's still available in free agency right now. It's injuries. He has a rotator. He has a shoulder thing now. He might not be able to play until August. He has an ankle sprain. He's had some knee stuff. So the, the GMs quoted him as being like one of the tougher guys who they've had in their building because he's battled through a lot of stuff. But for him, it comes down to health because when he's a healthy player, he's a potentially dominant player that can get double-digit sacks. Yeah, I'm looking at – you know, uh, across his past few seasons, um, you know, uh, last year he he had uh, looks like he had four sacks. Is that right? Um, double checking a couple things here. He had four sacks in seven games. Yep. And um, you know, year before that he had eleven sacks. The year before that he had four sacks. Um, 
before that at 13 sacks, year before that 11 sacks and nine sacks. And, and that's, you know, his, his career. So basically he has largely been um, a double digit sack guy. And okay. sorry, did you say something, Jeff? Yeah, I'm reading that. They came out with potential terms of the deal. Have you seen this? No, uh, fill us in. So Brady Henderson just wrote on ESPN that the deal is expected to include $5.5 million in guaranteed money with incentives that can boost it another $8 million. That's about what I expected. Yeah. You know, like John Clayton came out. I was listening to him on uh, Brock and Salk. I think it was yesterday or maybe it was the day before. And they were talking uh, – Clayton was talking about $8 million. And I was like, he's like, maybe it would get up to with incentives up to 10. And I'm like, this guy was franchised last year. And mm -hmm. you know how players think. I mean, he believes he's probably the best pass rusher around. And the only reason he's not getting paid is because of his injury. So he's not going to take 8 million, like at the top end, he's going to take an incentive deal that is going to pay him close to what he would have gotten. Maybe if he had performed, that's what he's going to want. And yeah. so the Seahawks have the down, the, the downside protection of if he doesn't five and a half million is, is nothing. I mean, if I look really quickly at the Seahawks salary cap at who is making, you know, five and a half million, um, you know, that's, KJ Wright is making like 5 million this year. Like Bradley McDougal's 4.7. Ed Dixon is 4.4. So, I mean, you're, you're getting what very well, if, if he's healthy, could be equivalent production to Frank Clark. In fact, if you look at pass rush productivity, he was significantly more productive as a pass rusher when healthy last year than Frank Clark. And you're going to be getting him at a quarter of the price potentially now that that's only if he he's you know if he doesn't stay healthy and all those things or doesn't produce but if he does produce you're talking about 13 million um that's still seven million difference uh than what frank clark ended up costing for the chiefs i think he's around 20 million a year in cap space yeah and all of a sudden we we don't know how we would need to see what answer is going to be able to play in how much time he'll miss, if any at all. But all of a sudden, a group with Ansa, improved Rasheem Green, who was basically a zero last year, improved Jacob Martin, and LJ Collier. That looks pretty good on paper compared to last year when, like, Deion Jordan was their second pass rusher. And they didn't really have – and they are playing Qu Quentin Jefferson as, like, an every-down defensive end and base downs. Like, that group looks pretty upgraded, even though they traded their best player away. Am I right on that? Yeah, I mean, let's let's do the best case scenario thing here for a second. I mean, assuming that let's assume that he is healthy. The reports I've been reading are that he he may not be ready until midway through camp. Um, you know, but they the expectation is he'll be ready for the regular season for sure. Um, let's just say that he stays healthy, um, yeah. and, and and for the time being. You've got a guy that you can probably pencil in at 10 sacks. You know, I, I think it's not unreasonable if he's if he's healthy in this defense, in this stadium, with this coaching staff, you know, I think that's a reasonable expectation that you're gonna get double digit sacks from from someone like him. And in fact, you really want to go optimistic, Jeff. Yeah. 
he could he could have his best season as a pass rusher here. I don't think that's unrealistic. Like you could see him get 12, 13 sacks, maybe more, but you know, th that's not totally out of the realm of possibility. And if he does that, then all of a sudden you've got what? Rasheem Green and LJ Collier at a minimum, but probably and Naz Jones all competing to to start opposite him at the five tech. So now you've got a pile at the five tech position. Let the best man win, right? Then you've got uh, on the interior line, you've got Puna Ford and you've got uh, uh, Jaron Reed. And, you know, I think that there's some pieces there. You've got Cassius March at, at Marsh as a rotational guy to come in uh, in nickel when someone like Green or Collier rotate inside a nickel situation. Um, so now you start to have, you know, some pieces to play with. You're forgetting a big name, Jacob Martin. Jacob Martin as well. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, it's a great ad. So, I mean, those are a lot of pieces. I don't think that they're done yet. No, there's, they can add another edge rusher. There's a couple of guys they can probably get on the cheap, but Shane Ray's still out there. Who's coming off a couple of down years. I think Nick Perry might have been like their fallback plan if Ansa fell through, but they can still add him. You can get him on the cheap. But I think their next move is probably like a safer player, maybe like the defensive tackle to be that third guy behind Puna. I know they've mentioned we've seen a couple names mentioned, like Al Woods and Corey Legit. And I think it was a big name everyone wants in the UW is Danny Shelton. That's a common one that keeps coming up. I saw Jake Heaps mentioned they're not done yet, and he's pretty connected to what's going on around the team. So I think defensive tackle, probably a safer player to counteract the risk of Ansa. That's probably their next move on the line. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, like, I'm maybe the only person that that is looks at Indomitian Sue and says that that's an obvious move for this team to make. Um, I agree with you. I, I think I think the Seahawks are going to go outside and inside. I don't think I think they might go for another edge rusher, but I think they've got the cap space to spend to bring in a, a big name guy on a one year deal that would be incentive laden, and they'll walk away from him if they need to. And if that means that they have, if he doesn't, it could be an Antoine Winfield situation where someone doesn't even break camp with them. Like if, if it doesn't work out, they'll walk away. But, you know, I think people really, I, I'm not a huge uh, Indomitian Sioux fan, but this is a guy that if you look at his, just his, his body of work, even in years where he hasn't, like last year, he wasn't considered a dominant player and he's considered a guy that kind of played lackadaisical. He's one of the best run defenders in the game. Um, and, also was a pretty darn effective pass rusher when when called upon. So I think that that is not out of the realm. My ideal, Jeff, the rumors still are that Gerald McCoy is going to get cut from, from the Bucks for salary cap purposes. My God, if you tell me right now that they signed Gerald McCoy and pair him with Ansa and Puna Ford and Jaron Reed – and Jacob Martin and Rasheem Green and LJ Collier, 
a lot of edge rush. Tell me how that's not a better pass rush than we had last year. Oh, that's worlds better. The thing to watch on McCoy is that Jason Pierre-Paul might have had a season-ending neck injury. And they might alter their plans. They might have to keep him because of a pass rush issue. But at the same time, they might also have to cut him to clear room to sign more edge guys. So McCoy is ideal. I, I, I would like McCoy a lot more than Sue. I think he's such a better fit for this team. The same concerns you have with Sue are just not there with McCoy, who's would be a great fit in that kind of rotational 4-3 defensive line, just go after the quarterback role. He's He was such a dominant interior, just like penetrator when he was going. But the big thing with Sue is I think I would take a shot. I'm with you, Brian. I know everyone's – I know like I was kind of against it at first. The more I think about it, he played like a dominant player in the playoffs last year because he had an incentive in his contract that paid him like an extra $2 million if they won two playoff games. So why not just give him a, like a, an incentive-laden deal similar to Ansa's where if you can – if he was motivated by $2 million, why wouldn't he be motivated by more incentives? And when he tried last year, he was – I think he was the Rams' best player their whole playoff run. I think he was as good as Aaron Donald. I think he was better than any offensive player they had. And they had a wealth of talent. If you watch those couple playoff games, Sue was absolutely dominant. And I can see Pete Carroll just licking his chops, like get a guy like him in the program – right now because if he can motivate that guy there's just no one like him on the market he's an absolutely dominant force when he tries and when he cares so they just have to fit i i can see them doing that move if they can find the room for it because the way this deal's set up the cap it doesn't seem that big and it seems like they could bring another guy like that yeah my, my is, i don't even think it's as far-fetched or hopeful i expect them to sign indomitian sue really uh, yeah, I absolutely expect them to sign. I think that's the obvious move. I think that the team spent a lot of time talking to him last year. I know they've coveted him. He's from Portland. Um, you know, he's been in the area. We, we know he's been around. Uh, you know, they have the money to spend. I mean, I think if you look at it right now, um, we don't have Evan here, unfortunately, uh, or, or uh, Nathan. But um, Evan's traveling for his, uh, his honeymoon, so wish him well. Um, but you know, they had, if you take, if you take the, uh, rookie, um, salaries out of the equation, they had 20 million or so in salary cap space before this move. Now, if you assume that Doug Baldwin is going to retire, um, that jumps up to 26 million. And if you decide to move on from Barkevius Mingo, um, now you're up at close to $30 million. And if you decided to move on from Jaron Brown... And what's that? There's Cam Chancellor also. Yeah, can you get any... I guess you could get a few million from that. Yeah, I think a couple million after June 1st or something. Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, uh, yeah, you could gain another $5 million there. That we, you got about $35 million in cap space if you got rid of all those guys. Um, they got plenty of room to, to, to re-up Jaron Reed, um, to sign two big free agents. Um, 
I, I think they could still sign a third if they really wanted to one of the really cheap kind of guys, you know, two to 5 million uh, kind of situation. So I think they still got things to do. I think so is the, Indominus Sue is the obvious one. Um, I would like, I would much prefer Gerald McCoy um, for a ton of reasons. But um, if you tell me right now, sign up and we can get Indominus Sue and we can get uh, Ansa. You know, I, I think that's I think that's a very reasonable position to be in heading into next year. Um, so I mean, let's 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 uh, we're having fun with the, the upside, right? Yeah. What do you see, Jeff? Is um, let's assume for a second that Ans- Ansa um, that he his injury is is not doesn't work out, and mm-hmm. and that the team is kind of strapped um, without him. What's the downside here? The downside here is that the Seahawks don't haven't really done much at cornerback, and they lost Justin Coleman. And that the fact is that the good quarterbacks will pick them the secondary apart. That's the downside. If they can't generate a consistent pass rush from Martin and Green and Collier and some of the new Marsh. That you saw what happened last year when Clark wasn't going, teams were throwing the ball pretty consistently. Well, the good quarterbacks on this defense. This defense was not good last year by every metric. They didn't really add much to the front seven in terms of like proven pass rushers. Collier's a, a fun guy who's like more of a power player than a speedy guy. But I think that's the biggest concern. There's still a concern of who's going to be the nickel corner. There's like five guys going for that spot. We don't know who's going to play at safety. So if the pass rush is like a zero, essentially, and Ansa can't play. You're asking a lot of Trey Flowers and Shaq Griffin, and whether that's Akeem King or Ugo Amadi or whatever, those jobs become even more important. And we need guy. You can't have like a guy like Flowers take a step back like Griffin did last year. Because there's all these uh, numbers people that are now talking about how I'm not I'm not bashing them, but they, there's a lot of compelling evidence that. Cover, coverage is actually more valuable than pass rush. And if there's no pass rush, that puts a large emphasis on coverage. And we all asked them to upgrade a corner this year. They're basically going with their guys. So that's to me is the downside. Yeah. I mean, you really you end up in a situation there where someone like Rasheem Green potentially has to step up or Cassius Marsh has to step up. And, um, Maybe Jacob Martin, although I really have a hard time seeing him, you know, in a base defense kind of situation. I just don't think he's got the build for that. He's just a he's a nickel edge rusher. Marsh, I think people forget, was actually a decent player against the run. Um, he, he even played some interior, some you know, interior line for the Seahawks when he was here. Mm-hmm. And, still, yeah, well, there's still like Jefferson and Naz Jones. Like those guys can play five tack a bit. Those guys can definitely play five tech, but as far as Leo, yeah, um, we don't want that. Yeah, I don't think they can do that. And you know, Marsh is a guy that we haven't talked much about because he's really like he's not. You don't want him to be your main guy, but he had five and a half sacks last year. Um, that's that's not nothing. And from a pass rush productivity perspective, um, Marsh is. I'm just taking a look here. He's roughly equivalent to like Shaq Lawson on Buffalo or Shaquille Barrett on um, Denver or Nathan's favorite name, Robert Quinn. 
Oh, yeah. Cassius Mars was roughly equivalent to Robert Quinn as a pass rusher wow. last year. So, and, and in more snaps, and he had more snaps. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a he was he was he was a better pass rusher than Marcus Davenport, who, who got a lot of pub for, um, or Whitney Merciless on Houston. So, that's a guy that that could play a role if you really needed him to. But God, he's much better as a rotational guy. So. I mean, I think the argument could be made that if if you really are worried about Ansa's shoulder, that you might be smarter to double up on you know another veteran edge rusher that you could count on. Who would yeah. who would be your next choice after Ansa as a potential additional free agent signing? And I can give you some names if you need them. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's run through the names. So you've got uh, Shane Ray, you've got Nick Perry, you've got, um, I'll pull up a couple others, but those, let's start with those two. I think of the two, the match with Ansa, I think I would do Shane Ray. I know he has been not, he hasn't been productive at all in the last two years. I think his stats are down to like two sacks a year. And maybe Perry's Perry's got a lot more upside, but I think just to kind of mask the risk, the biggest thing with Perry is he just hasn't been durable at all. He's battled through almost more injuries than Ansa. And I guess to counteract the risk on Ansa, I'd probably take more durable player. I don't know if that's a smarter move there, but that's probably would be my next move. Yeah. Shane Ray, his size is is interesting. I mean, he's, he's 6'3", 245, so he's definitely profiles more like classic Leo for the Seahawks. He's not as long as you'd want, um, and I don't know how he'd hold up against the run, but I think Ray would be the guy that I'd be most interested in. I was interested in Perry. I, I, I saw there's times where he was a real load to block, but – one injury wise, I think doubling up on another injury risk seems unwise, especially when I don't know that Perry has significantly higher upside there. Like when I looked back at his pass rush stats, he was actually not nearly as good of a pass rusher as his sack numbers indicated. He was a guy that that seemed to get some sacks, but was pretty low on on pressures and, and hits. So um I think Ray would be a more interesting sign there. Um, other guys that are out there, there's Connor Barwin, there's Matt Longacre. Um, you know, you could look at someone like, I don't think Jamie Collins makes a bunch of sense, but he's out there. Andre Branch, I've never been particularly enamored with. Um, I've always liked William Hayes, but I know he's coming off a big injury and, and he's 34. So I, I don't know that that makes a bunch of sense. Deion Jordan, um, we've talked about here before. Yeah, I think I'd rather just give the snaps to guys like Green and Marsh. Almost, I'd rather Marsh over most of those guys, right? I think so. I mean, I I kind of like Matt Longacre. Um, maybe not uh, logically, but um, I liked what I saw from him on the Rams line. And it's a little hard in LA to know with. Aaron Donald, how much he's creating opportunities for those guys versus those guys really being talented enough to earn it. Um, but uh, I'm checking what PFF has for for Longacre. But yeah, I mean, it, 
if you had to choose between um, Ansa and another edge rusher or Ansa and a defensive tackle, which way would you go? Long acre and a defensive tackle. No, Ansa, Ansa and another pass rusher, another edge rusher, or Ansa and a defensive tackle. So you want like Ansa and Sue or Ansa and Shane Ray, if you could only pick. Oh, Ansa and Sue, it's, those two guys are worlds apart. And just having another interior pass rusher to me is so important in this division with you guys like Kyler Murray and Goff and guys who can get the ball out really quick and putting Sue in this defense if Jaron Reed, who's had some weird tweets. I was just reading. That's why I was a little distracted. Did you see that? Any of those? What are you looking at? Someone like tweeted Jake Heaps that he said, like my time as a Seahawk was fun or something like to be continued. Who did Jaron Reed? No. Check out like Jake Heaps, his account. Someone tweeted something. All right. We'll do a little on-air Twitter search here. So I almost asked Jake on the show tonight, but I think he's got his own show going on. So did he reply to somebody or is this a retweet? I think someone in the screen grabbed it. I think he must have deleted it. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything on his account at least. Now go to Heaps' account. I'm on his account. Okay, go to one hour ago. Someone named like Chad Tuttle. Into re- uh, I'm not seeing anything. You sure you're on a real Jake Heaps account? Let me just send you a screenshot. <laughs> this must be fun for our listeners. <laughs> All right, they want to know. Let's get off this. Um, yeah, if you find something, let me know. Yeah, I'll send you the screen grab. I think so. All right, I'll pull it open. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the argument for signing, um, yeah, I don't buy this at all. No, he probably just doesn't understand the business. Of the- yeah, I don't know. If 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 Jaren, are you saying that Jaron Reed's uh, deleted that now? Yeah. He probably just reacted to the Ansa signing incorrectly. Yeah, I don't think that makes any sense. They've got plenty of room to sign Jaron Reed, and I think that's going to be one of their big um, big next moves. So I wouldn't waste too much time on that. Yeah, going okay, anyway, back, yeah, back to what you said, what do you think a Sioux contract would look like? Um, I'd expect it to be um, – I'd expect it to be around $10 million. Um uh, one-year deal, um, something around there would, would make sense. Um, I think the Seahawks would probably want to do something that was incentive-laden, um, so he had to earn his money. And so, you know, for, for Sue, it's a little bit harder because he's healthy. Um, the difference and the reason you could pressure someone like that into taking an incentive deal is he's still available. There's reasons that that's not like other teams have been clamoring to have him on the, on the team. So um, they need to do something like, I think the base would probably be seven to eight and maybe they do incentives up to 10, 11, 12, even 
Um, I mean, let's say it got up to 12. You're talking about 12 for him, as much as 13, 14 for Ansa. That's 27 million. You've still got, you've still got like, you know, millions to play with if you decide to, you know, cut some players. So, um, and then, you know, depending on what they do with, with Jaron Reed and, and how they structure his deal, they're going to want to leave space to make sure that they can prorate us, you know, um, some of his deal into this year, most likely. So, um, yeah, I think they can do both of those. I mean, what, what number makes sense to you? I would say a pretty similar to this, the onset contract, probably a higher base. And the thing for me would be really important is just the incentives. Cause you saw last year, he is motivated by money. It's, Sue's been like a guy who's been like tight with Warren Buffett in Miami and in LA, he was like, had all these business deals and he is motivated purely by money. So as much incentives as you can, because Sue completely turned his game on just to make that one or $2 million bonus. So if you can give him like a $5 million incentive or a $7 million incentive, just picture what kind of thing that could do for him. And then all of a sudden you got all these potential guys for Seattle. Now, if Ziggy blows up and someone signs him, there's a third comp pick next year if Sue signs. So these deals, like that you're training Clark away, just keep rolling in and giving you more and more. That That is a fantastic observation. Let's make sure people understand what you're going, where you're going with that. So, so you start with Frank Clark, who was set to on a franchise tag made 17 million. And if you signed him to a long-term deal, it was going to be 20. Like he's making 19 to 20 million a year for four or five years from, from this point forward. So that's where you were, you that's where you were to start with. Now you trade him away and you get a first round pick and a second round pick, right? Um, with that, you've got LJ Collier and you've got whatever the second round pick is next year, right? Um, we'll forget the trades of the third round pick. It doesn't really matter in this case. So you've got LJ Collier, you've got um, a second round pick next year. You also now have salary cap space. They have spent, let's say 13 million of that salary cap space on Ziggy Ansa. If Ansa blows up and has a great year this year, you can be sure he is going to get a top end free agent deal next year. So now you're going to get a third round comp pick for that money. So now you've got Collier, a second round pick next year, and a third round pick in 2021. You also could now spend more money on someone like Sue. And if he blows up and he or he plays well enough to get another good deal next year, you could get, I would say, most likely a fourth rounder at best, um, you know, knowing what his market would be. But still. You start with Clark, you start with that money, you end up with Collier, a second, maybe a third, and a fourth. Dude, that's, and not to mention the production that you're getting. If you get an Ansa and a Sue, I think the potential that they are, and Collier, like put all three of those together, the potential that they're gonna be more productive for you than Frank, a one Frank Clark, I think is pretty damn high. And that's, that's the kind of deal that we've been clamoring for John Schneider to do and why the Earl Thomas thing was so frustrating and the Sherman thing was a little frustrating. And I think when we wrote that article months ago, things Seahawks need to do, and one of Nathan's main takeaways is they need to get ahead of when to give away players. 
and this could not have worked out better. When we D Ford got traded, we thought Clark would be traded for like maybe a second. So turn Clark into all this that keeps rolling and keep rolling and just gives you the financial flexibility to sign your quarterback and do all these moves. This is John Schneider's best work in a long, long time. And these moves just keep adding up and keep making his offseason look better. Yeah, I, I mean, I, this is it just me or does this have echoes of the 2012 pre-2013 offseason? Not at all that I'm saying that they are now set to be a Super Bowl contender. We can have that conversation in a second. But, you know, to have – a top tier pass rusher like Ansa available at this point in free agency and available to be signed like this. On one hand, you can say there's a reason for that. You know, he's high risk. If, he, if everyone was sure he was going to be good, they would have signed him. The other hand, the Seahawks happened to be the team that had the best situation for him. He can pick, he, he had three or four teams from all reports that were at least interested and could have been more. He ends up at Seattle. He ends up with a five and a half million dollar guaranteed deal. That sounds a lot like the five million dollar one year deal that Michael Bennett signed, or the seven million dollar one year deal that Cliff Averill signed. And we know how that turned out. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of that. Um, they like kind of fell through in the market, and Seattle was just there to pounce. And I was looking at the roster like right before we did the show. And they don't have the frontline players that those teams did that probably will never have that kind of number of frontline players probably ever again. But the depth of this defense and most spots on the roster, especially defensively, the depth is really, really interesting. Like the, the 11 draft picks and kind of the guys they brought in, there's a lot of like interesting battle. Like there are five or six deep at linebacker right now. They just have a lot of guys. One injury last year had like such a domino effect. You had guys like Calitro playing and Mingo and Tedrick Thompson was your only option of free safety. They, there's just so many interesting options on this team. Like there's rave reviews out of those two linebackers last week at rookie minicamp. There's BBK and uh, the third round pick Barden, who seems pretty interesting all of a sudden. The safeties that you got the new nickel back from Oregon who's going to play some free safety, Amadi and Delano Hill and Blair, who was a lot of our favorite picks. That group looked a lot more interesting than just Tedrick Delano and McDougald with a couple special teams guys. And we mentioned all those young edge rushers and pass rushers. That's three levels of defense that are a lot deeper than last year. And the receiver room looks a lot more interesting, even with Doug possibly not playing. The running back room is loaded again. This is a very interesting roster. If the offensive line keeps growing, and we mentioned they're almost 10 deep now too with Haynes there and Upati there and Fluker's back. This team is really deep. There's going to be guys who get cut from this team that are going to play elsewhere, kind of like those years you mentioned. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are because we also had some interesting pairs of news go on there, right? So Pete was glowing about Ben Burkirvan and about Cody Barton during rookie mini camp, said that they – clearly on pace to be able to play any of the linebacker positions, maybe not right away, but over time. Um, Ken Norton Jr. was glowing about them, just how the, there's only so much you can show, but they were they're very, very positive about those guys. Now, at the same time, you have a report come out from Omar Ruiz that, that Bobby Wagner is interviewed saying he's preparing for, for his uh, 
last year with the Seahawks. You know, he, he's preparing as if it will be his last year with the Seahawks, and he's going to go out with a bang. Do you? What's your take right now on whether Bobby Wagner is going to get re-signed? I'm still of the belief he will. I think trading Clark uh, basically opened the door for that. And I think just how much how Pete and John talked, it seemed like the guys they were going to invest in was Bobby on defense and Russell on offense. I know Nathan has wanted to get rid of him, and I know there is value if these young linebackers can play. I think they hedged a little bit, but I still am of the belief that they're going to find a way to – they cleared the cap room. They don't have a lot of money coming in in terms of big signings next year. I think they're going to get him locked up. I know the C.J. Mosley deal has complicated things. Bobby is representing himself right now, so that makes things a little more complicated than dealing with their traditional agent. But I can see why Bobby does is saying that he's seen pretty much everyone he's played with in the Legion of Boom years leave the building, essentially. And KJ is pretty much only back for one year. But I'm still of the belief that they have room to invest big in one more player, and I think it will be Bobby. Are you on the same page, or are you thinking it might be time to bring these young guys? Well, I mean, what's very clear, if you had to pick between Jaron Reed and Bobby Wagner for who you signed to a, a, an extension, it's Jaron Reed. You know, zero doubt at all. Um, younger, tougher position, more, more important in terms of what the team needs, getting an interior pass rush. Um, I just think Reed's a guy that you you make sure that you lock up now, and that's why I know there's some folks been sharing the tweet out of what Jaron Reed said or the implication that he's he thinks he's gone. I think there's zero chance of that. I think he's their top priority after you know in terms of who they're going to lock up next. Now with the Bobby thing, I um I don't know. I don't know. My, my I would say my instinct is that my instinct is that they're going to resign him. I mean. It wasn't that long ago I was seeing him and the Schneiders and and how close they were and and I know it's a business and and personal stuff separate but I don't know I, I think there's a really tight knit family there and and I think that Bobby has been all class all the time um, so I would say like fifty three fifty four percent chance I think they they keep him. But there's also part of me that's like, yeah, if he's not going to press it and he's going to play out the year without setting a deadline like Russell did, and they see what they've got in these other guys, and they know that they can let him go and potentially get a third-round comp pick in 2021 yeah. versus paying $18 million a year um, for a middle linebacker, um, I don't know. I, I don't – it's roughly 50-50, but I think they sign him. Um, but it's it's close. It's a close you could, you could franchise him, too. Well, that's the other thing, right? Like, if you sign Jaron Reed, there's no one else that you'd need that tag for. Yeah. And then, if I'm right, I mean, Mosley's deal is at the top end of the range. So the franchise tag would probably be lower. I would guess the franchise tag for the, that position would probably be 15, 14. Something like that. Yeah, he he wouldn't like that, but I I think that's not a terrible situation from the Seahawks' perspective. Yeah, it would be a horrible, <laughs> horrible thing to do from a relationship perspective. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I could see something like that. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, there's the Bobby news that came out. Um, uh, we also didn't have a chance to talk about just rookie minicamp in general. Yeah. Um, what, you know, I'm sure you were reading and listening and watching all stuff about minicamp. What, what jumped out to you about uh, minicamp, or the rookie minicamp news? Um, basically that everyone was raving about DK Metcalf. And everyone who was down at that camp, whether it was Jake Heaps or Brock, I think Salk was down there day two. He was just – he. I sound like he blew everyone away. And I think Clayton said he had the best, like, performance at that rookie main camp since Russell's, like, blew the coaches out of the water on that one. And obviously there's not a lot of – there's not a lot of, like, cornerback talent and there's you can't, there's not a lot of press play and all that stuff, so it's very early. But to hear those kind of reviews early – Versus like someone like Penny who like did absolutely nothing in those camps. To me, that's ex- extremely exciting. Like Metcalf, his ceiling is crazy high. The fact that he seems further along and his route tree seems a lot better than they initially even thought. To me, that's really really exciting because with the Baldwin news kind of lingering over that group, to have a guy like that who's the biggest. Like they haven't had that big freak show wide receiver who can run and is that. They've had Sidney Rice, who's more skinny and he can jump, but they haven't had a guy like basically like a T.O. type. Well, they had T.O., but not the not the real T.O. But they haven't had a guy. So to hear everyone just rave, and guys who really know football, just rave about him, to me that was the big story. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know how people couldn't be excited about the D.K. Metcalf news. I know – uh, if we had Nathan on here, he could he could you know rain on our parade a little bit and tell us why uh, Metcalf's going to be that good. But uh, you know, it's 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 interesting. Like when I wrote my morning after article about the draft and about his his selection in particular, I knew I was going to get a lot of heat. But I wrote that in my mind's eye, what I pictured in in like a perfect world is he even if he's got a limited route tree, he's got the body and the skills and the athletic ability to, to run similar plays to what Calvin Johnson ran um, and just be able to out-muscle and out-leap guys down the field without necessarily having to get a lot of separation. And predictably, I got people like, you're crazy, what are you making even that, that type of comparison <laughs> at all? And, and I get it. I'm not saying he's Calvin Johnson. But since I wrote that, I honestly had not heard that from anybody else. That's just who came to mind for me. You know, I heard Hugh Millen go on and on and on, and he talks about Calvin Johnson, and that's the the name that that really comes to mind. I've read other articles that compare him to either Calvin Johnson um, or Josh Gordon is another one that that's come up in a few different places. Um, you know, but the Calvin Johnson um, compare, I think, is worthwhile. Um, not that he's going to be exactly what Calvin Johnson was. That guy was you know, six, five and two fifty, and ran the same speed as Metcalf did or something close to it. So, I mean, he was a total freak, but Johnson had a pretty limited route tree. He ran goes, he ran some slants, um, some comebacks, and he was just a total dominant force at that position. And if you have someone that's, let's say that they're even like 60%, of what Johnson was. And you put that across from Tyler Lockett and you've got, you know, uh, 
you've got Gary Jennings who didn't get to, to practice this time. Um, there was another name and I'm spacing on him. Maybe, you know, but it was another slot receiver that did practice that had basically the same, um, size, um, uh, profile as John Ursua, who also couldn't practice slot receiver. And everyone was raving about him. He was getting all sorts of separation. Uh, Harry Wright. Is that right? Yes. Good point. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's looks he has the same body profile as Ursua, but he's actually faster um than Ursua. so anyway I, I just think that 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 could be a really interesting um there and I, I think people yeah people have no idea what to expect and that's freaking awesome like yeah. that's gonna be fun and that room is just loaded with like fun pieces where like David Moore, I remember we had a conversation last year, like where we were trying to break down his ceiling, and when he was really starting to like peak midway through the season, you add him to a group like this, and then all of a sudden, not only do you have crazy competition, they just there's a lot of options that they can develop. When the last couple of years, the bottom of their receiver group has looked pretty terrible, whether it's been like Brian Walters or just guys who've been like fizzling around the league quick, and like people. Do you think they bring back any other guys like a Jermaine Curse, or do you think they roll up these young guys? Um, yeah, I um, I, I don't think that they spend the money there. I mean, I, I think if we even open it up broader, then like we talked about the defensive line, defensive end. There's a possibility to double up on another defensive end after they got Ansa, like Ray or or whoever else. There's a defensive tackles. We've talked about options there. But then you say, okay, what about everything else, everyone else? There's there's some names. At, like, I mean, I think Eric Berry deserves at least a, a discussion. I know that he is most likely, probably 90% likely, um, he's probably never going to play again or never going to play close to what he that, – that's probably the most likely scenario. For a guy that had, he was Earl Thomas good or pretty damn close to it. Yeah. And he's available for what will probably be almost nothing guaranteed. And at a position that you have significant questions at, what's the harm of bringing in someone like Barry? There isn't. There isn't. Worst case, it's Antoine Winfield. You brought him in thinking he was going to be your slot corner, and then you realize you had Walter Thurman. Byron Maxwell and Jeremy Lane, and you were five deep at corners. So to me, it's the same thing. It's what's the downside? There's zero downside. The cost would be zero risk, unless he can't pass a physical. I would do that move in a second. I think Seattle's the kind of team that probably doesn't want to have maybe a veteran blocking their young guys. They have a lot of young guys they like at that spot. I think they do like Delano more than maybe fans give credit for. But with Delano and Tedrick and Umadi and Blair, who we haven't even talked about. Blair's a guy I think they really, really like. I'm guessing they don't end up making the move, but I think it's definitely worth a discussion. Would you, rather them, would you rather them go after someone like Barry or someone like Curse or um, uh, who was the guy that was on the 49ers last year? He's an older receiver as well. Space Pierre Garçon. Yes, that's right. You know, yeah, so. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want anything to do with him or Curse. 
Um, to me, you have that guy kind of already in Jaron Brown. I know we're not that high on him. But if you, you can stick him as the guy you can just kind of roll with at the beginning if some of the younger guys aren't ready, he can kind of be that filler. So I don't see why you would bring in a second one. I mean, blocking these young players just doesn't make sense. I think Jaron Brown and Moore can be your fillers at first. If Baldwin's not playing, you can roll with those three guys if the young guys aren't ready. And if not, I don't want to waste spots on guys who are declining at this point. They already have Jaron Brown to be that stopgap. And hopefully David Moore takes the step forward and he could be in a, he should be a three receiver set guy from the get go. Yeah, I'm looking through the, the list here at some other names. I mean, getting back to defensive tackle, there's Corey Legit, who um, I think is an interesting name. And and uh, I know he's made a visit here. Muhammad Wilkerson's an interesting name. Um, another interesting name, like not a guy that I think is going to save the day, but it can be a, another body on the pile is Captain Munnerlin, um, yeah. nickel corner, oh, yeah. 31, and, and he's he's had years where he's a decent nickel corner. Um, you know, Terrence Williams, I don't know if he makes sense from a receiver position uh, to look at. I know he's had some injury issues. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I, I – I kind of feel like I'm not interested in, in the receivers that much. Um, I, I just, I don't feel as much risk at the receiver position as I think other people do. Um, and I think part of that is because even with the Doug Baldwin news, I really feel like the Seahawks largely operated without Doug Baldwin last year. Um, and they did pretty well. And I think they have better receivers to throw out that position than they did last year. So you know, maybe I'll feel differently after I see a few training camps and, and uh, games, but but that's that's kind of where my head is. I'd rather them triple up at the defensive line or go double at the defensive line and add some safety or corner help where we have some real gaps um, than, than go at the receiver position. So, yeah, back to the original point we were making, though. I know I mentioned Metcalf was my big thing. What were your takeaways from rookie camp? Well, man, I mean, the, the Metcalf news is huge. I think um, uh, I did take note of of the no names that people were starting to name, and and uh, you mentioned Wright was one of them. I think that's the name that that I, I recall. There, there, I think there might have been another as well, because um, those are the guys where if they come in without fanfare and people leave talking about them, um, they really they really made an impression and. Um, I've seen in practices where that happens, where it's like, look, when I first went to um, a practice in 2011, it was 2011, and I was watching the receiver group. I was specifically watching a guy named Chris Carter, who I was writing a, a feature uh, series on, and he was playing nickel or, or, uh, slot receiver. And there was this number 15 that kept running routes after him and was just amazing. It was getting just crazy separation on every play. I looked up on the roster. Who is this guy? It was Doug Baldwin. And no one was talking about him really ahead of that mini camp, but everybody was talking about him after. So I think those guys are pretty interesting. Um, I think there is, 
Uh, some good comments about Phil Haynes. I was disappointed that Gary Jennings and Ursua weren't able to practice with the hamstring stuff. Nothing serious, but, um, you know, that's, that's unfortunate. But uh, look, the safety position, <laughs> I don't know if you saw uh, Ugo Amadi's uh, interview. He's, he's pretty funny. He got a lot of crap from the, uh, the media because he's like, you know, he knows that he's, he basically said he knows everything, but uh, he has a lot to learn. Um, something along those lines. <laughs> but but uh, I liked him. You know, he talked, he was joking about Marquise Blair and how quiet he is. And, and yet they're roommates and they're they're pairing up. Uh, Carol said that Amadi played a lot of nickel corner. Um, they planned to have him mostly a free safety, but they were playing him at nickel. Um, I just think there's so many storylines heading into this training camp, Jeff. I mean, yeah. It is absolutely going to be like a kid on Christmas Eve, you know, waiting for that first practice and seeing, especially when they get the first padded practice and seeing how these guys all come together. Yeah, they're just, there's, they seem like they, maybe they don't have the frontline talent they had last year. We mentioned they lost their old, they lost Frank. But just from the depth perspective, as I was saying before, there's just so many more interesting players. And just the roster seems in a much better position going forward. Well, and, yeah, go on. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mentioned this earlier a bit, but those linebackers, Cody Barton, that guy, they traded up to get him. A lot of people were surprised they did that. Some of the draft guys thought it was a big-time reach. I know I know that and Albert Brewer wrote a Monday morning quarterback this week. The Colts had the – the guy the Colts ended up drafting, I think it was a Stanford linebacker. They had Barton right in that tier. That's what Brewer said. So they – who a lot of people think the Colts – I have like the best front office in football right now. They had Barden, who kind of, who Peter was absolutely raving about, graded in the same spot the Seahawks took him essentially. So he, I'm much more intrigued by him than I initially was. Yeah, I, I've heard I've heard a few different uh, interviews with him, and he seems like a great kid. I, I oh man, I gotta say. The story he's told he told was basically that he didn't play much his first and second year. He started getting some snaps his third year, and then he like took over, you know, starting job in his fourth year. And that doesn't really profile as a future star. Like it, it's pretty rare that somebody, if they're going to be a star in the NFL, um, it's pretty rare for them to be a late bloomer like that at a program that is not stocked with like Alabama like talent in front of you. So I do have questions about his true ceiling. Um, but the Seahawks certainly believe that he's, he's more than that. I mean, I thought, I think someone said today, maybe it was Davis that his floor is like Heath Far Farwell. <laughs> and if that's the case, Heath Farwell was a huge part of the 2013 championship team. He and, and, and uh, Chris, who is the safety? There we go. Chris there we go. Those two guys made that special teams. Like they, that was a, such an underrated part of that offseason that nobody talked about. Talking about the pass rush addition, but when they added Maragos and Farwell to that that special teams, they were just a badass special teams unit. So I guess I'm looking for that. Um, and BBK, the two of them together, I'm just kind of curious how that plays out. It, it wouldn't surprise me if BBK is more flashy on the field with his speed and Barton maybe is just a smarter player. So we'll, we'll have to not, not smart, like 
intelligence, but maybe maybe uh, you know able to navigate a little bit better than than uh, BBK can. Um, what have we missed? So we've covered Ansa, Metcalf, basically every draft pick. What's I guess we covered the next move for the Seahawks. I think we've pretty much covered everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask the, the chat real quick, see if I missed anything that people wanted to hear about. But uh, <laughs> uh, somebody wants to hear Nathan uh, complain about Pete, um, uh, but he's not here. Um, you know, offensive line, I don't think there's much we can talk about. Uh, you know, the people pretty much playing patty cake and and uh, rookie mini camp, so it's hard to pretty much get much there. Uh, yeah. Running back, we didn't talk about Travis Homer, right? Um, some good speculation there, just briefly, I guess. Uh, a lot of folks. I mean, first of all, they had him as their best special team player that they had on their board. So that indicates he's got a pretty decent chance to stick, if that's the case. And if he does stick. And I just – is there a way that you, you can keep C.J. Procise? There was also a bit of news, Jeff. I don't know if you heard this. They had J.D. McKissick listed as a return specialist, not as a line a running back on the roster. That is interesting. That so is, is there a chance that, that Homer, you know, makes the team and, and McKissick and, and Procise both get waived? Yeah, it's certainly possible. Procise in the last year of his deal – if he doesn't blow them away in camp, I think he's probably gone. Um, they, they could probably walk away from him at this point because they're not going to re-sign him. I mean, that would make no sense. I think it's McKissick versus Homer for that last third down spot. Third down back. They got Carson. They got Penny. And Homer probably fills that Mike Davis role probably a little better than the other two. And based on the, that they've traded back into the – well, he was one of their final draft picks. I think it's him versus McKissick for that last spot on the roster. I think Procise has, has to pretty much blow the team away to make the team because based on durability, based on his contract status, uh, he's a long shot at this point. And Homer, do you agree with that? I do. I do. It, it pains me to say it because I I just – I know that I've gotten a bunch of crap for it. I don't really care. I, I think I – think Procise is going to be an impact player um, still, you know, when he's able to get on the field and people can laugh about that. But look, he still has not had an injury to me that is like a career threatening chronic kind of injury. He's had a lot of nicks and um, I think he's an explosive player. So I, I just look at it from a roster management standpoint. I'm like, even if he just balls out in the in training camp and like plays fantastically, if you've got a guy under contract under club control for the next four years at a cheap price, and he's your one of your best special teams players, and you got Procise who may have way more upside as a running back and receiver out of the backfield, but is not a special teams player, and you have not been able to get him on the field. I just don't know how you could make the decision. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to – maybe you put Homer on the practice squad if you think you can sneak him there. That's not – I mean, running backs are not particularly hot commodities. You could probably stick Homer on the practice squad. But, 
it's hard for me to paint a path for ProSize lands on the roster this year. Yeah, that's uh, the Homer pick kind of sealed that essentially. And I think McKissick is a guy that they have underutilized, and I would like to see them use him more in the passing game. You saw like the kind of play he can make in that San Francisco game where he should have had that massive conversion that was negated by all those penalties. So I would like to see the way for him to keep him if they can use him more in the passing game. But if Homer, a better pass protector, similar skills receiving, yeah, it's definitely possible you can walk away from both. And there's still Bo Scarborough. I don't know if he's more like backup depth for Penny. He was a pretty impressive college player, and the Seahawks pounced on him off a couple practice squads. So it's a really interesting group. I think the first two guys on the roster are obviously locks, and then some really interesting names for the third and fourth spot, if there even is a fourth spot. Absolutely. That's going to be a hell of a training camp. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I think the rest of this week is going to be interesting. I, I don't know how this is going to play out from a timing perspective. I expected a lot more just bang, bang, bang right after the, the, the deadline. We've got basically the first domino has fallen um, for this third tier of free agency, Jeff. I think before the last thing I'd, I'd ask before we wrap up for the night is, What's your prediction? What what do you think if you had to bet on it right now? What's what do you think the Seahawks do um, in the in this last wave of free agency? If I had to guess, my guess would be another edge rusher in the Ray Perry mold, along with a run stopping defensive tackle. I'm still hoping for Sue, but if I had to make a prediction based on kind of how they've done things in the past. That would be my guess. I think it slow plays a little bit. I was like you. I was hoping that things would kind of just go off crazy, like the first wave of free agency that everyone was waiting for. And it was slow as hell. All day was basically nothing. Basically no moves around the league were made. So I had to guess it'd probably be that. They probably killed two spots in one. If it was up to me and what I'm hoping for is that Stu is their next move. And they do it tomorrow. Yeah. I I think that that's the most likely um, part of me thinks that this is going to drag out a little bit longer. If there's a chance that Gerald McCoy is going to uh, free up, um, the Seahawks may play play a slow game here. I think they've got some options at defensive tackle. Um, we've talked about legit. We've talked about Danny Shelton. They've got, they've got some different ways that they could go there. So I wouldn't be surprised if this takes into next week before we see what they do, but they're going to sign another defensive lineman. I, I, you know, I would bet, I bet a good chunk of change that they're going to sign another defensive lineman. And then the question to me will be whether they sign a third. And I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. They have the room to do it. They have the spots on the roster to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, look for them to sign another, at least another defensive lineman. Look for them to, to, to start locking up Jaron Reed. I think that's another one that they could potentially do. And then, uh, man, we're going to be slip sliding into mini camps. And then uh, training camp is, is not that far away, end of July. Um, we're going to have a bunch to talk about um, uh, as that stuff builds up. Yeah, I have the news just kind of. It's really invigorated the Seahawks fan base tonight. There's so much going on now, and all of a sudden the Seahawks are going to be the talk for a while because they still have room to do more. 
And this is kind of usually the dead period in the season, but there's going to be lots of mini camps coming up. The rookies and the veterans are going to start playing together. So there's going to be a lot of stuff to read about, a lot of stuff for us to keep talking about. So it's usually a dead period in the schedule. And the fact that the Seahawks keep making news is really fun right now. <laughs> it is. Well, hey, Jeff, thank you for rushing back from your softball game and uh, staying up late with us tonight as usual. Um, we're going to wrap for the night. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe uh, up here on YouTube or on Stitcher or Spotify or Google Play or iTunes. Um, and then uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks, hopefully with the rest of the crew back in tow. Um, and we'll have a lot more to talk about with, with whatever signings come. Who knows? If you're subscribed, you'll find out if we decide to go with uh, another ad hoc show in between. And this is the perfect time to sign up at patreon.com, um, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash hotblogger. Uh, join the crew, um, and we'll be happy to have you join our private Facebook group and all that good stuff as well um, to talk more with the fellas. So uh, thank you all for joining us tonight, and uh, go on. And bye.